Life Off the Pendulum is the course of study for this fall semester in adult Bible class at Trinity Lutheran Church. In this study, Rev. Dr. Jim Von Bush will expose and explain what life on the pendulum looks like and the many struggles and heartaches we encounter because of it. He will also share what life off the pendulum can be, a life that trusts and rests in the abundant grace of God. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we gather together to this morning, we come with an eagerness to hear what you have to say for, to us and for our welfare. Father, we know that your scriptures tell us repeatedly that you love us, that your love is steadfast, that you are compassionate, and that you desire good for us. And so, Father, help us to live in that truth and to trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little summary, not, not necessarily of all the pendulums that we've talked about to this point, but at least just a reminder of how we've been approaching this study on life on the pendulum and what it can look like for believers to live life off the pendulum. One of the things I've been hoping to do through this process and this time together in this study is just help us become aware of what life on the pendulum really looks like and how prevalent it is that really life is full of these pendulum type swings and we find our place on the pendulum based on many factors what we've been taught what we value experiences that we've had things that have happened in our life things that have led to comfort where we want to find comfort in life and so that is a, an important part of understanding pendulums. One of the things that we cannot cover is all the pendulums. What I've hoped, like I said, is that we can become aware. Now one of the things that could potentially happen is that we become overwhelmed. When we start looking at how life is and how we live life on a daily basis, it could almost become a distraction because we might see, oh, there's another pendulum, there's another pendulum. I'm on this pendulum. This is where, where I am on this pendulum. And it can become distracting for life and maybe even overwhelming. And that certainly was not my goal, but it's a risk we take when we consider a study of this nature. So again... I've hoped to create some awareness, and in some way, I have tried to approach it in kind of a simple way. Here's a, a pendulum that many of us might experience. Here's another pendulum that many of us might experience. You know, it's quite common for people to experience the pendulum of shame, and so I talked about that one. It's quite common for people to live on the pendulum of self-love, so we talked about that one. It's quite common for us to get a little confused or distracted when we start thinking about forgiveness, and we talked about that pendulum. So I tried to cover some of those pendulums that are really essential to our faith and real, you know, common for most of us. But the reality is, as well, that many of you will experience pendulums that are more specific only to you, and that's where we trust the Holy Spirit to help us identify and understand and then ultimately lead us to this idea of always faith and faithfulness. As you've seen, as we've gone through and talked about the various pendulums, whatever we, however we define or identify what the pendulum is and looks like and how we live in that and on that, ultimately it comes back to faith 
right? For the believer, it's always faith. And then because of the, the faith that God has given us to believe his truth, how do we then live in that? And as Jesus Christ said, he has set us free for freedom's sake. He has set us free from eternal damnation. He has set us free from judgment. He has set us free from our sins. And he's also set us free from all these pendulums that are part of living broken lives in a broken world. But so what it really means in the end is identifying and becoming aware of them, recognizing what pendulum that you are wrestling with in that moment, where you might be on that pendulum, but ultimately having the Holy Spirit lead you to life off that pendulum, a life of faith and faithful response to God's grace and love. What we're describing really is a a life of daily repentance. That in a nutshell is life off the pendulum. Martin Luther said it many times, wake in the morning and one of the first things you do is roll out of your bed to your knees, make the sign of the cross to remember your baptism and the promises God made and repent. Wait a minute, I just got up. How much do I have to repent from? But he says it's a life of daily repentance, a daily turning to the Lord. Because the reality is, even as believers, we are going to find ourselves on these pendulums all the time. And so through daily repentance, we trust and we turn to Christ in faith and say, help me live faithfully off this pendulum. We can't do it in our own strength. We cannot. We cannot fix our own brokenness, which is what the pendulums represent. So it is by faith and daily repentance that when we recognize, oh, I'm on a pendulum, and this is the pendulum I'm on, and this is where I'm at, turn to Jesus. I mean, I don't want to sound simplistic. It is simple, and that's what Jesus also reminds us of often. It's not a childish faith. It's a childlike faith. Faith like a child that turns to Jesus over and over again, recognizing this is what I'm believing, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm doing, and it's all part of this pendulum. Jesus, please take me off that pendulum. Help me trust you for the truth that you give and live faithfully. So again, I just wanted to remind us of those things. Uh, We have today, one more pendulum today, and then next week will be our final class on life off the pendulum because then we're into Christmas and then we'll start a new study in January. So this is, uh, we're kind of wrapping things up, and I wanted to take that moment to remind us all. And, and really, some of that has come from some of the wonderful questions and comments you all have made, both in class and outside of class. I've had several folks come to me at different times and just have discussions about various pendulums and the way it affects the way they live, uh, even throughout the week. And I welcome that also. So let's talk about this one, Life Off the Pendulum, session number 12, our Pendulum today is the pendulum of suffering. The pendulum of suffering. And I'll tell you right up front, it's not an easy one. Common to all, but not an easy one. And how we deal with suffering in our life and in this world reveals to us where we might be on the pendulum. How we deal with suffering. Suffering is common to all. And it's a part of every person's life in this broken world. How do we deal with it? That's the pendulum we're really talking about today. 
So what does everyone want in the, uh, in the realm of suffering? I think we could say they want pain-free living. Isn't that, is that a fair estimation? That really what everyone wants is to not suffer, to have a life free of pain, heartache. We want to be happy. And so we strive for happiness, we seek happiness, we try and find ways to be happy, and then we open up Pandora's box because that becomes real personal, right? How you seek happiness could be very different from the way somebody else seeks happiness. But listen to the way people speak sometimes. When they talk about an activity or a place or that's my happy spot. Right? You've maybe heard something like that. That's my happy place. I like to go there because that's where I feel most happy. I like to do that thing because it's what makes me feel happy. I like to have this stuff because I think it'll make me happy. We're surrounded by this in our world. It's promoted in our world, and as believers, we are not immune to it. We still seek happiness. We strive for it. We look for it. We're disappointed when we don't feel it or have it. And yet we all know that happiness is fleeting. Happiness isn't something you can grab or hold on to. Happiness is an experience based on, I mean, it's just the way you feel about certain circumstances. And so as long as that circumstance lasts, you might feel happy. But remember this, happiness is a gift. Happiness is a gift of God's grace. No one deserves to be happy. So that one is hard to swallow right up front, isn't it? No one deserves to be happy. You wrestling with that one? You do not deserve happiness. In a broken world that's been cursed by sin, nobody deserves happiness. And yet we look for it, we strive for it, we want it. We're told in the scriptures that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Any gift of goodness comes from the Father above. Anytime we experience happiness, it's because God has shown us grace. And maybe through some of those experiences that leads to happiness, we even then recognize that the only reason I had that experience was because of God's grace. This is huge, when especially just for life as a believer, but also when we start talking about the pendulum of suffering. If you think you deserve to be happy, you're, you're solidly rooted on the pendulum. And there's no escape. So that's where we've got to start with that fundamental principle. But we want pain-free living, we want happiness, or we want to escape when we are feeling the pain and suffering of this life. And we can do that any number of ways. It's kind of the opposite side of the coin or the opposite end of the pendulum swing. Either we're always looking for something that's going to make me happy, or I'm trying to escape what's making me hurt and feel sad, one or the other. And so either I'm looking for happiness or I'm looking for somebody to feel sorry for me. If I can't be happy, at least maybe somebody will pity, pity me. You know, I can have my own pity party. And so this is how we deal with suffering.
Again, I don't mean to be superficial or simplistic. We could delve deeply into all the ways we try and deal with suffering and what we really want. But I hope that kind of captures the essence. Does anybody have any other thoughts or comments there? Like I said, this one, been saving it for one of the last ones for a reason. It's going to be challenging. Well, it brought to my mind years and years ago, I often had a friend, and I was, you know, dumping all my stuff to her and everything. What happened? Did you lose your fur lined pity pot? Say that last part again. Did you lose your fur lined pity pot? Fur lined pity pot? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so sometimes it feels good to have a little venting and and especially if somebody will listen to us and provide us that comfort. But I think the reality is, is we sometimes need that other person to be able to share those sorrows with, to carry each other's burdens, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6. But sometimes it's just a pity party. Is that what you're saying, Valerie? Sometimes it's just, if I can express my pity, maybe I'll feel better, and somebody else will feel sorry for me. So, things to think about then. How do we get it in this life? We've already started talking about that. Uh, we could do anything from just trying to avoid anything that might cause us pain. Avoid it. Don't think about it. We might find ways, and I'm going to use this as kind of a global term, painkillers. Now, we could certainly say that that might be specific painkillers. I mean, there's as a substance abuse treatment professional, and I've worked with people of all kinds of, you know, through the spectrum of the population that have been seeking to kill their pain with all kinds of substances, other activities. We can try and kill the pain in, by, you know, any number of ways. So how do we get what we look for in a pain-free life and escaping the, the suffering of this life? We try and kill the pain one way or another. Sometimes, though, like we were just talking about with the pity party approach, sometimes we wallow in it. We live in it. And we either see there's no way out of it or we don't want a way out of it. So I was having a conversation with someone this last week just talking about the previous pendulums that we've been talking about. And in that discussion, it led to this idea of I can become aware as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I can become aware of a pendulum and some of the behaviors I'm doing because I'm on that pendulum and even ask God to forgive me and confess those behaviors and at the same time say, but I'm not letting go. I still want to live on this pendulum. And so in that moment, what I'm really saying is, God, I know what I did was wrong. It was sin. It was against your will. But I'm going to do it again. Because I am not willing to let go of this pendulum. I want to stay right there. And so I will continue to do those same behaviors that are associated with that pendulum and my position on it. So those, I mean, it's really when we start confessing our sins, that's why, that is exactly why in our confession we say, I am a sinner by nature. And because I'm a sinner, I sin. It's both and. And I am on the pendulum. I am a sinner. I am broken. And I want to stay there, so I'll keep sinning. And so 
what do we do now with this kind of a, how do we get this in life? Sometimes when we wallow in the suffering, it's really we're just saying, I'm going to hold on to my place on the pendulum. This is how I'm going to deal with the suffering in life. So let's talk about the pendulum. And now even, as I've mentioned, there's lots of pendulums available to us. Even when we talk about suffering, there's not just one pendulum, right, with regards to suffering. I've tried to choose one that will make most sense to us and how it might be real common to us. But in the end, I'm not trying to communicate that this is a complete package. That's why we rely on the Holy Spirit to grant us wisdom and to teach us and remind us of what the Scriptures say. So here's again just one way, one understanding of the pendulum of suffering. The either-or of the pendulum swing is on the left, it is just life. It's just life. You can see my quotes down there underneath the pendulum, some of those conclusions. It is what it is would be kind of a, a common quotation I've heard. It is what it is. It's just life. Life is hard, and then you die. And so it's just life. Some of the things that might be uh, associated with that side of the pendulum, that swing, would be that it's just life and God isn't involved. God is not involved at all in life. He created it. He got the thing spinning and walked away. Or he's out there, he's so big and doing all the stuff, he can't possibly be concerned about every individual life. And so, you know, it's just life. And God is not involved at all. Or maybe, even if we go on beyond that, we might make the next conclusion and say, and really, not only is he not involved, but he doesn't really care. God doesn't care. So if it's, it's just life and God's really not involved, it must be because he doesn't care. Or God can't would be the third one. God can't. He's powerless over the sufferings and struggles that I face in life. This is age-old stuff. I mean, there was a Jewish rabbi who wrote a book titled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And he was trying to address this very thing. Either God doesn't love us and he doesn't care, or he can't do anything about it and he's really powerless. Now, what do you do with that? He's powerful enough to create everything, but not powerful enough to handle our suffering. So then we have to go back to the idea of, well, if he's powerful enough to do something and he's not doing something, he must not care. And that's the struggle on that end of the pendulum. Back and forth. Can he? Will he? Those are the questions. And if he isn't, why not? How do we wrestle with that? So we have to conclude it's just what it is. It's just life. Suffering is it's just normal. So deal with it. It's kind of the idea. The other end of the pendulum swing, it is my life. So, on the one end of the pendulum swing that I just described, God isn't involved in all. On this end of the pendulum swing, God isn't involved in my life. God might be loving 
God might be powerful, but he's just not involved in my life. He might be doing other things in other places and for other people, but he isn't involved in my life, which then you can see where that leads to. God doesn't care about me. He might be a loving, caring, compassionate God. It's just he doesn't care about me. Maybe he doesn't care about every individual. And I must be one that he doesn't care about. You see how depressing this becomes, how shattering this is to faith. Then what do we do with this? How do you trust God when you are convinced he doesn't care about you? How do you trust when you are uncertain as to whether or not he's involved in your life? And then everything we've been telling you since Sunday school, you question. And you say, yeah, I've been taught that he cares about me, but it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't look like it, it doesn't feel like it, and so I don't know if I can trust anything that I've been told about God. And so in opposition to the swing over here where we might conclude that God can't, on this end where it's my life that we're talking about, God won't. God won't help. God won't rescue me. And so we're on the left-hand side of the pendulum. It might be that phrase, it's just what it is. It is what it is. This side is, if it is to be, it's up to me. He's not going to help me. And so I'm going to have to do it on my own. You see how penetrating that thought becomes? How widespread? That's not just suffering now. I mean, that's that could take over our whole life. And we are very reluctant to turn to Christ for anything. And we might say, yeah, I'm trusting him for my for, the forgiveness of my sins and redemption and salvation, eternal life, but it's all up to me for this life. And that's where this pendulum of suffering, I think, can lead us. One end, God can't. The other end, God won't. Either globally God is not loving or not able, or it's personal and he's just not willing to do it for me, or my problems are too big for him. Either way, if it's just life, the conclusion we come to is that something must be wrong with God. We might not say that out loud. I just did it for you. We, that, I mean, that. can you really say that out loud? You believe something's wrong with God? But if anything is true on that left-hand side of the pendulum, if that feels true for you in any way, then that's really the final concluding message is there must be something wrong with God. Either unloving or uncom- you know, not compassionate or unable, not unable, not powerful enough to do something about it. Something's wrong with him. On the other end of the pendulum swing, if it's my life, then something is wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Am I not worthy? of God's love? Am I not worthy of His involvement in my life? Am I not worthy of being rescued? What must I do to get His attention? What must I do to earn His love and help? This is powerful thoughts, right? And we encounter suffering all the time. So I think that these 
struggles are going to be real and prevalent. If we're going to adopt the mindset of it, it is what it is. Oh, well, God doesn't care. I don't care. I just can't care. It's too overwhelming to care. And so I'm just going to go on one day to the next and just say, it doesn't matter. Whatever. I can't care. Or if we're going to adopt the mindset of, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to be up to me. I'll just do it myself. I can't rely on God, so I'm going to have to rely on myself. How? I'm not asking for a response. Please understand. I don't. I don't want. But how true do either of those feel? That's what I want you to consider for just a moment. Anywhere. And I'm, of course, like I've said, when I talk about these pendulums, I tend to be towards one extreme or the other to really help us define it. Maybe it's not as extreme for you as I just painted that picture, but remember, anywhere on the pendulum is still on a broken pendulum. It's still a brokenness because of sin. And so maybe it's not as extreme as I describe it for you, but if it feels true at all, that's a revealer to us that that's, that's how we're approaching not only suffering, but then God himself. Suffering is a great revealer of your faith, what your faith is in, or who your faith is in, and what your beliefs and convictions are. Suffering is a great revealer. So, any comments, questions before I start talking about life off the pendulum? Hopefully we're all eager for that at this moment. Life off the pendulum. This might surprise you. Life off the pendulum is endurance. Maybe you were hoping that I was going to say something like rescue. Maybe you were hoping I was going to say something like never-ending joy. I mean, now the truth is God does give us joy in the midst of suffering. And that joy isn't based on circumstances. Returning to our opening statements about happiness, happiness is always based on circumstances. Always. But joy, that's something that we receive from the Holy Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Our love, joy, peace. They are gifts to us. Not earned, not deserved, not sought after, not based on circumstances. And so... When we talk about life off the pendulum, it's endurance. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Those two verses seem to capture everything we're talking about. And both the encouragement from the author of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ endured suffering. And that's what we are encouraged to do as well, is to endure suffering. That's what life off the pendulum looks like enduring it. And there's a whole 
he captures several ideas of how to do that, that enduring. It's not acting like it isn't there. It's not just saying, well, whatever, it's just life. It's not wallowing in it. It's not trying to escape from it. It's not trying to kill the pain of it. It's enduring through it and recognizing that there is something meaningful taking place in the suffering. You know, this chapter, of course, Hebrews 12, follows that long discussion in Hebrews 11 about faith and, historically, the people of God who lived by faith. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. But what I want to focus on right now in this verse is that this phrase, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, has been understood in really kind of two ways. One, and a pretty pretty prevalent one, is, okay, we just finished talking about all the people in history that have lived by faith all the way from you know, Abel, who offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God, to Abram, who left his home and traveled to a whole new place, to Moses, who led the people out of Egypt, to a, I mean, a whole plethora of people who had lived by faith. And so when we get to this verse, many people have said, it must be talking about them, this great cloud of witnesses. So now everybody who's gone before us, all the saints who have gone before us, and this is sometimes where we get that idea of maybe there's a window in heaven and they're able to watch us. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I can't find anywhere in the scriptures that really talk about it like that. And first of all, I do see in the book of Revelation that their attention is captured by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So I don't know that they're looking back on us, all right? I just, I think that what this phrase is talking about is that as Abel lived by faith, as Abraham lived by faith, as Moses lived by faith, as all the other people who are mentioned in those verses in chapter 11 who lived by faith, there was a whole group of people watching them live by faith. And we today are surrounded by a great group of witnesses watching how we live this life by faith so that we can give them an answer for the hope that is within us. How you and I live off the pendulum in the midst of suffering will speak boldly about faith to all the people around us. There are always people watching. There is always a great cloud of witnesses watching to see if you will live by faith or if you're as stuck on the pendulum as they are. Do you have any hope to offer Or are we running around trying to deal with suffering and brokenness in this world like every other person is that's stuck on the pendulum? So, what are we encouraged to do since so many people are watching? We lay aside the weight and we get rid of the sin that clings so tightly to us and we run the race with endurance, the race that has been set before us. And how do we do that? It's through repentance. We look to Jesus. We look to Him in the midst of all the suffering and brokenness of this world. For He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who has given us faith, and He is the one who our faith is in. And He also endured suffering, the suffering of the cross. And now He's seated at the right hand of God. So life off the pendulum is endurance. And we do it by looking to Jesus. It's not us. It's not us 
being strong enough. It's not us being smart enough. It's not us coming up with enough perseverance on our own. It's looking to Jesus, the one who has given us faith and the one who our faith is in. So our faith response can be summarized in these three ways, I think. The first one is believe that God is love, powerful, and intimately involved. That's the faith response. It may not feel that way. It may not look that way. So that's why it's faith. Believe wholeheartedly, 100%, that these things are true about God, that He is love, that He is powerful, and that He is intimately involved. This, of course, is the lifting you off of the pendulum. If the pendulum is God isn't loving, God isn't powerful, or He doesn't care, or He's not intimately involved in my life, the first thing, the first, first faith response is believing that He is. That what He said about Himself is true. Steadfast in love. Unconditional. There's nothing that can separate you from His love. And He is all-powerful. And He is intimately involved in your life. The second faith statement would be accept that suffering is due to various reasons and serves various purposes. So let's revisit this idea of Christ's suffering as written for us in Hebrews chapter 12. What what does God do about our suffering? He sent His Son Jesus Christ because He loves us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to save us. And how did He do that? On the cross. It is the greatest demonstration and action of love and power ever. The cross is the greatest demonstration of love and power. These are not fill in the blanks. These are just for you. And it is the greatest power and demonstration, you know, greatest demonstration and action of grace and salvation. The suffering of Christ on the cross is His love for you. Is His power demonstrated and acted on for you. His grace given to you. And salvation won for you. Now, when we look at the cross, for us, I mean, when we look at the cross, it has many and important messages for us. But some of those messages are hidden. When we look at the cross, does it, I mean, is that the first thought that comes to mind when you look at the cross is that is love? We talk about it, we say it, but truly, in that moment, 2,000 years ago, when Christ is hanging on the cross, does it look like love? Does it look like power? Beaten and ridiculed, barely alive, and then dying on the cross, does it look like power? Does it look like grace? Does it look like He's saving anyone? That's what they said. If you truly are the Son of God, save yourself. Get down off the cross. If you truly are the Son of God, save us. 
Show us that you love, you love us and that you're powerful enough to do it. When in fact, the great demonstration and action of that love and power was staying on the cross. Because it was only by finishing his work on the cross that we are loved and that his power completed the task he sent out to do that only he could do. He was the only one powerful enough to defeat sin. He's the only one powerful enough to defeat Satan. He's the only one powerful enough to defeat death. And so by staying on the cross, he loved you. By staying on the cross, he defeated your greatest enemies and provided forgiveness and salvation for you. And he does this thinking of you. Intimate, right? Once in a while, I have conversations with people and it almost comes out like this. I hope I can describe it carefully enough where it's the idea that I think about Jesus more than he thinks about me. I think about his death on the cross more than he was thinking about me while he was dying on the cross. Does that make sense? And it's wrong. I mean, we do not think about Jesus more than he thinks about us. He thinks about you. You are the apple of his eye, the scriptures tell us. He is devoted to you. He loves you. And you are always on his heart. And because he's God, that's true for everyone. That's true for everyone. And so while all of his love and power is sometimes hidden on the cross, it's also revealed on the cross in his suffering. So he endured suffering. And therefore, we by faith accept that suffering has various reasons and various purposes. Many times our suffering is our fault. And it's certainly true because the reason we're living in a broken world as sinners doing sinful things is because Adam and Eve disobeyed the will of God, rebelled against Him, rejected His love and His grace, wanted to be powerful without Him, wanted to do it on their own. And then they found out how desperate they were for rescue. And what did God promise? He would send someone to rescue them. And that person would crush the heel, the head, crush the head of the serpent, even though he would suffer in the striking of his heel. So even in Genesis 3.15, we are told that the Savior would suffer to love us, suffer to redeem us, suffer to show us grace. A few other verses I'd like to share with you when we kind of consider what uh, the various reasons and various purposes of suffering might be. And these are just a sampling. In no way, shape, or form am I trying... I mean, there have been a plethora of books written on this topic of suffering. There's no way we can cover the whole thing in our short Bible class this morning. But again, I'm just trying to help us see what life off the pendulum can be like. So, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says, It has been granted to you... That sounds like a gift, right? Granted to you... For the, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, salvation, 
also suffer for his sake. And so how do we suffer for his sake? Well, I think that's what we were just talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. As we endure suffering, it is the opportunity to suffer. He has suffered for our salvation. We suffer for him to promote salvation, to proclaim salvation to a lost and dying world. So it's one of those belief moments. Do you really believe that it's been granted to you that you should believe for salvation? That's a gift given to you. Do you also believe that suffering has been granted to you for Christ's sake? Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Through him, so that's through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And the idea there is that's where we live. We live in his grace and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, So we rejoice in God's grace, His salvation, His glory. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul must be off his rocker. He tells the Philippian believers, it's granted to you to believe and to suffer for His sake. Your believing in Him is for His sake. Your suffering is for His sake. Now he says we can rejoice and be glad in the glory of God and the salvation he's won for us. And we can also rejoice in sufferings. Knowing, this idea is believing. It's a faith response. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope Even in the midst of suffering, hope in Christ. We are not shamed by that hope. Even though the suffering may continue, we continue to hope because we know that Christ endured suffering for our sake. Does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we have this hope and we endure suffering because of God's great gifts to us. His gifts of love that have been poured into our hearts. The gift of the Holy Spirit who is within us. We are not alone. We are not suffering and having to throw our own pity parties independently. But we are in union with the Holy Spirit, Christ Himself. And so we have all of this through faith in His grace. And then James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5 James starts out his letter by saying, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, without pointing fingers, and it will be given him. So instead of being on the pendulum and saying, I don't want this suffering in my life, I'd like to escape it, I'd like somebody to rescue, I'd want to avoid it, James says, we trust that God has purposes and he works all things together for good. And in that, we trust him and we can actually rejoice. 
because it reaffirms that my faith is in Him. It points my faith back to Christ. So I can rejoice in that, consider it joy. Jesus knows where your faith is. He knows what your faith is in. And so through various trials and testing, He can use these to reveal to you what your faith is in. Because sometimes we deceive ourselves. Sometimes we don't even know what we're putting our faith in. We might be saying, well, yeah, I trust Jesus, but in my heart or the way I'm living, I'm really trusting in something else. I might even be trusting in me instead of him. And so James says, consider it, you know, count it. It's almost an accounting term. Count it up. Look at these trials as a testing, as a revealing of what your faith is really in. And because you are going to encounter suffering and you're not always going to know what the reasons are for it, you're not going to always know what the purposes are, what does he say? Instead of swinging on this pendulum, he says, endure it by asking for wisdom. God will give you wisdom to live in and through the suffering. Wisdom to understand. And it may not answer your why questions. It may not answer why am I suffering, but he will give you the wisdom to live in it and through it. It reminds me of something that I heard once. Grow through what you go through. Sure. Yeah, so specifically, and you know, that's, I, I want to define something. Thank you, Beth. That's a really a, a great uh, phrase for us to capture. Grow through what you go through, right? Now, an individual that is not a believer in Christ could say, hey, I like that phrase. And so I know I'm going to be a stronger person because I've gone through this. I will be able to handle more things because I've tackled this one. It takes us back to that pendulum swing, right? But the reality is, as you brought it up for us, Beth, as we turn to Christ in the midst of all these sufferings, as we go through them, He will, in fact, strengthen our faith. He will turn our faith to Christ and Christ alone and help us to live in that. So I don't know if anybody else can hear that, but I'm hearing an alarm beeping. And so... Uh, I hear it. So anyway, just mentioning it, probably, you know, I don't know that any people listening on the podcast will have known that beeping was happening, and maybe you didn't know it either. But, uh, you know, I just want to prove to my kids that I, my hearing is really good. I think they have no doubt. Oh, they, they accuse me of not hearing all the time. So. Not wanting to. <laughs> anyway, back to our situation here, the suffering pendulum. When we talk about this last one, conclude that the eternal is more important than the temporal. Conclude that the eternal eternal is more important than the temporal. Eternity is more important than what we're experiencing right now. That is a hard one for us to get our heads wrapped around, right? Because what's happening right in front of me is always what's most important and urgent. And so thinking about eternity, that's so far away. I've got to deal with suffering right now. Go ahead. I almost think just the opposite. If I'm not looking at the eternal effects of what's happening right now, I'm gonna, um, it's harder to take. So like the death of a loved one or the death of a child or the 
whatever injustice or suffering that you're going through, if you don't, if you're not clinging to God through that process, um, I don't know how you get through it, to be honest with you. What's interesting, you said the opposite, because what you really just did was prove my point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I was hearing you say it was harder to look at the bigger, at the eternal. And for me, if you aren't looking at the inter- eternal, I don't know how you get through some stuff. See, on the pendulum, we're myopic. We can only see what's happening right in front of us. Okay, okay I understand. And so it is hard to look at the eternal. But what you said... I think confirms what I was hoping to communicate is that by understanding that the eternal is more important, that's how I live today. It changes the way I live today. So if I think now is what's most important, then it's like the idea of, you know, eternity can wait. It's not really affecting how I live and what I believe and those kinds of things. Instead, it's just on hold. The reality, though, is if I live like that and I become so myopic and I turn away from trusting in Christ, then eternity is also lost. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. I mean, this is real pivotal, what we're talking about here. It's really about our own salvation, let alone the salvation of others. Let me read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and see if this helps clarify that. Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Sorry, let me start again. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. So even that emphasizes what you were just saying, Anita. There's, we encounter suffering. We're wasting away. And we are in, encountering death and suffering and trials all the time. Brokenness. And he says, our body, our outer it's wasting away. We are, in fact, in the process of dying. Our inner self, he says is being renewed day by day. So what a contrast. This physical thing is wasting away and in the process of dying, but inside, I mean, my internal self, my relationship with Jesus Christ, my soul, is being renewed. For this light momentary affliction, affliction, and Paul knows all about affliction, and he calls it momentary. Sorry, I'm getting my vowels all messed up. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They don't last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And I think Paul just really focuses our attention on this whole idea of living by faith in Jesus Christ in the midst of all kinds of affliction and suffering, and it changes our whole mindset towards it. And Paul says it's really kind of light, and it's short-term in the light, in the scope of eternity. And so what our focus is on will change that understanding. If all I'm looking at is the suffering and the trial and the pain, it's going to be huge. But by faith in Christ, if I can see beyond that to eternity, then he says it's momentary. It won't last. And as painful as it is right now, you will endure it in Christ. So a few things then to wrap up. And let me also mention this, going back to that second one. When we accept that suffering is due to various reasons and serves various purposes, always keep in mind that the full gospel, the full literal gospel, of course, encompasses all of Christ's suffering. We looked at that several weeks ago. 
that Christ took all our suffering, all our sin, all our condemnation, and he was damned on our behalf. All of it for every person. When we present the gospel, the full gospel, we must include both law, which prepares the person's heart, that points out this is the suffering and judgment that we deserve. And when they're fully convinced of that, just like on Pentecost when Peter was preaching and the people said, after Peter says, you've crucified Jesus, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? They were ready for the gospel. Suffering prepares us for grace in many ways. So this is kind of a simplistic question that if he in fact has taken on all of our pain and suffering, why do we still feel it? Because in this bro- he doesn't just take us out of this broken world. Yeah. And we are still sinner and saint. Those are two things we hold in tension. So we're, you know, we, now we could launch. It's not a simplistic question, Mel. That's pretty deep, actually, and it would take us a lot longer to talk about than what we have right now. But ultimately, why, that's a, que- a great question, though. Why does God leave us here in this suffering? Why doesn't, as soon as you believe, when we baptize, bam, gone. Because we are here to declare his excellencies for the great cloud of witnesses so that more might come to faith. So he's not going to remove us from suffering. In fact, suffering, as we just talked about the cross, is where grace is given. If all we're seeking is to avoid suffering, happiness, get me out, we're not ready for the gospel. We can't receive it because we're looking everywhere else. And we, but it's in our greatest suffering that grace is given. So let's finish up with faithful application of truth, the things we're going to hold in tension. Ask God for rescue and submit to his will and timing. Ask God for rescue. I wanted to take some time and just flip through some psalms with us this morning. Actually, we don't have time for it now, but you can turn to just about any one of the psalms and it starts out with things like God rescue me hear my cry for help Lord are you listening how long is this going to last psalm after psalm after psalm declares those kinds of messages recognizing our suffering recognizing sometimes the pendulum is very clear I just want out I want to avoid it God aren't you listening can't you help why don't you care about me? It's that hope. And then what? as we read the psalm, we get to the point where the author says, and David has many of these, where he gets, but my hope is in you. My faith is in you. And I know that you will bring me through this suffering and you will work your purposes and plans out in this suffering. Just like we have the great cross to remind us that God works out his plan through and in the midst of suffering. So... We ask God for rescue, and we submit to his will and timing. I encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 11 with this mindset. I mentioned it already. The idea, and I'm just going to start the verses. I think I have them here, yes. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This really attaches right to what Paul was saying about, you know, the, the afflictions and suffering you face now. Light and momentary compared to eternity, and eternity is beyond comprehension. You cannot even begin to understand and fathom 
the greatness of eternity. But here we hear, and here we hear that uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. They received righteousness. They were credited with righteousness through faith in Christ. And by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God is powerful. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place, and he went not even knowing where he was going, and encountered much suffering along the way. He goes on and says, you know, the author kind of interjects, all these have died in the faith. So as Mel brought up for us, the suffering continued even as we live in faith, died, not having received the full promises, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. This is a short time looking forward to what's ahead in eternity. They desired a better country. In fact, they desired a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called their God as they lived in the pain and suffering of this world through faith in Him. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. And I would say, and by the people of God. So he, by faith, lived a life of suffering. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. For the sake of Christ, he was willing to suffer and go without. We could go on. In fact, that's what Hebrews author says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you about this whole list. All of these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from them they should not be made perfect. God is working in every individual life and all his people at the same time. So ask God for rescue. Submit to his will and timing. And last, enter into the suffering of others. Isn't that, I mean, that's the faithful application. Most of the time on the pendulum, we're consumed with our own suffering. Life on the pendulum is consumed with our own suffering. Jesus Christ on the cross, his suffering, he was consumed with you. And your suffering, your eternal damnation. And he rescued you. And so the faithful application of truth, the things that we hold in tension, is now I am entering into the suffering of others to bring them grace to bring them grace. It's in suffering where people are ready to receive grace. It is in the suffering that God meets our greatest need. In fact, it is on the cross that Christ saves us from eternal suffering with His suffering. Father in heaven, we thank You so much for Your love and grace that are true and real and received by faith. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to do so. Some of the things we've talked about today, Lord, are going to really challenge our thinking and mindsets. So, Father, I ask for all of us that your Holy Spirit and his kindness and gentleness will will hold us in your divine embrace and walk with us and lead us once again and over and over again to our Savior, Jesus Christ. To him belongs all glory, honor, and power. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.